The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm debt. so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my When's parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Good evening. Welcome to Managing to be Wealthy. I'm your host this evening, Spencer Hager. With me, Cole Hammock. We are both certified financial planners. Again, John, our founder. The last three times I've been on, it has been this group, and it's starting to feel pretty good. It does. We're yeah. kind of a unit, <laughs> yeah. I got think. got the old game yeah. back together. Yeah, exactly. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we had to have a theme song yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a team name. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll figure oh, something out. There we go. Right. Just the three of us. Yeah. And then we need uh... <laughs> <laughs> Three's company. That's yeah, it. exactly. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh. I trust everyone's doing well. We got a pretty jam-packed show, so I figure we can kind of jump right into it. So we're going to start off with some current events as always, and then we're going to jump into the meat of tonight's show, which uh, a little bit less about tax planning, retirement planning, things like that. It's going to be a lot more about what questions you should be asking when you're interviewing around for prospective advisors, whether it's financial planners, estate planning attorneys, CPAs, you name it. But first things first, We'll talk about the elephant in the room. Second quarter GDP came out, gross domestic product. It was negative, negative 0.9%. And if you follow the old definition, if that is still the definition. You mean the real definition. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I will just say in college, the textbook definition was if you had two consecutive quarters, negative GDP, that was a recession. When I was studying to become a certified financial planner, two negative consecutive quarters was a recession. It is changing a little bit. I digress. Either way, I don't think it was a great headline. John, I'm interested to hear what you think. <laughs> that, that was a very bold pass. That was smart. Is he trying to get me churned up here? Yeah. Is that what's going yeah, on? Yeah, he's trying to get this entire segment canceled. Well, it's very interesting to watch. When you saw all the dancing over the previous week before this came out, how the administration was trying to get ready for this announcement, and, and then they came up with this changing the definition. I loved it when... Who's the uh, a press re- person? Jean-Pierre. Yeah, her. And so and this uh, one of the reporters came up to her and said, well, the, old, the definition is, and he quoted somebody, and she said, no, it isn't. That's not the definition. She gave no, no backdrop or anything else. She just, that's what they do. They just cancel it. And if they cancel it and say it long enough, some people will believe it. So we're not in a recession? Well, according to the White House, we're not. <laughs> according to me, you guys better work hard for the next 10 years. It's going to take that long to clean this up. Yeah, I, the only, essentially, the to play devil's advocate, because I have to, I will say, I think most people have been saying they feel like it may not be a recession because the unemployment rate looks so good. That's sure. what I've heard. I don't, the only, I'm, I would kind of move past the semantics. We weren't talking about inflation and how kind of rough everything was for the past several months as far as stock market not doing so hot, inflation's running pretty rampant. I mean, that alone, I think people are a little bit bummed out right now thinking about the economy. So whether it's definitionally a, a recession or not, I think people are a little bit down in the dumps for now. But Cole, 
Give your thoughts. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, labor has been the, the biggest piece, and so far, by and large, at least unemployment seems strong. I know we talked about the labor participation rate on the show a few times, which that one, not so much. Um, so and what is that one again? Uh, that, that's people actually participating within the workforce. So unemployment, that's the, the, the people that are um, actively searching. Are you casting aspersions against the millennials? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> As a resident millennial. I no. know. <laughs> but yeah, it, it seems, it, it's it's weird. You would think as soon as someone says, hey, we are in a recession, immediately things are going to be doom and gloom. But there's been no changes. Market's actually up today. Right. Uh, so I'm not sure if it's going to be a, a slow crawl into maybe a proper recession or what exactly that may look like. But right now, it's it just kind of seems like any other day. Well, it's going to be real obvious. You'll see it little by little. The companies will be, uh, begin to demonstrate they cannot afford the increased mm -hmm. wages because they have to give increased wages because although wages have gone up, sure. they've not kept up with inflation, especially after taxes. And after this new wonderful giant bill you promoted there, Cole, where they're going to give you know two hundred fifty million dollars to or billion oh, billion yeah yeah to companies who don't need it more money John well they don't but you know want to make sure they gave it to people who don't need it and of course that would you never guess it but perhaps that'll contribute to inflation yeah because these people don't need it so why did we do it if everyone's trying to buy their products they don't need any helping hand oh well, when you put it like that now I'm scared. <laughs> Well, I think there's some reason to be a little scared because we have to, sooner or later, we have to have people who will stand up. For example, I'm so disappointed in Manchin. I mean, I, I didn't wear my West Virginia T-shirt today because <laughs> he let me he down. Hit you hard. He hit you know, he let me down. He was a good old boy, and he just dropped it down. I don't know what they had to do to get him to go along, but that was not a good thing because that's going to add more inflation. So you can pay, you know, well, probably take us up to 10, 12% inflation. So you're saying it's the next six, 12 months, probably longer still, you said 10 years. It's, it's gonna be a rough ride. It's gonna be 10 years to get out of this yeah. because you can't just turn a switch and fix it. Sure. So, and then they don't seem to be willing to do the things that could immediately have positive impact, like get the fuel out of our earth instead of Venezuela or, <laughs> you know, the one that uh, Spencer wants over there, Iran, and others. <laughs> I am cautiously optimistic. You can't get me down, John. We're going to hope for the best. Uh, <laughs> we'll Good see point. what happens. The, the headline just came out. I'm definitely not encouraged by it. I don't think anyone is. But let's let's hope for the best. Maybe the, the Calvary's coming. Everything's going to work out just fine. <laughs> but definitely keep up on the headlines, and let's let's all hope it works out. It will work out eventually. Well Thank you. This is well the done. U.S. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Good transition. Uh, next big one, and uh, we may mute John's mic for it. The, uh, the other one was uh, apparently a, a lot of the federal student loan servicers have what? been told. <laughs> yeah. Again, John. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my Lord. I shouldn't have come today. We'll see what happens. It's still one of those deals I can't tell if they're trying to pick up headlines, but apparently a lot of the federal student loan servicers have been told hold off on sending uh, bills. Bill, yeah. yeah, bills. So. The feel is maybe they're going to push forbearance again. I still don't know. My whole speculation before was maybe they'll give some people some forgiveness and then turn off the forbearance. But who knows? I, I have no idea what that ties in politically, but I am a little bit surprised. While 
equally not surprised that they may extend it again. Yeah. I think it's just a, a, a bargaining chip. Yeah, exactly. You know, about, think so. they're trying to get votes? I think might be trying <laughs> oh, to get votes. Oh, I see because the young people are way down on the list uh, as far as their approval. You I, know that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's a millennial too, Cole. Yes, and, and as a millennial, I need all the help I can get. You know what I what I'm kind of curious of with this though is the fact that they keep the forbearance on. A couple months ago, it looked really really attractive to do some student loan refinancing for anyone I'm mm. working with who's has federal student loans. The rates at zero, so it makes no sense. At least in my mind, it doesn't make sense to refinance the loans to private and start accruing interest. I do wonder if they extend it another time and rates keep going up if it's going to even be attractive to refinance at that point, which could be kind of a downside of it. I mean, if you have those federal student loans and you don't have to pay, opinion aside, it, it's good for you that you're not paying it, and you can probably Absolutely. pay down the principal without interest. But I wonder if when they do kick it back on, you're going to have that old interest rate and no real incentive to refinance it. Or even a higher interest rate. Right, right, exactly. So we'll see what happens. Same same two cents as always. Keep an eye out because it was set to end at the end of August. And if they extend it again, you've got some more leeway to run with to try and pay down those loans. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> well said. Yeah. Yep. A couple more, and we're going to run into the end of this segment, and we'll pick up on the next one here. But what I want to pick up on next, I think everyone can feel, is with all these delays and the problems with the airline industry. Uh, apparently, it was uh, Lindsey Graham. He proposed a bill mm-hmm. to potentially – increase the mandatory retirement age for pilots. So we're going to pick up on that one more event and get into the meat of the show in the next segment. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to be Wealthy. We are picking back up on current events, a few more to get through, and then we're moving into the main topic. And when we were wrapping the first segment, we were talking about uh, the headline that there was a bill that was proposed to increase Mm -hmm. the mandatory retirement age for commercial airline pilots from 65 to 67. I thought this was interesting because I've pretty much been getting caught up to speed on the whole historical process with this. It used to be you had to retire at 60 if you were a commercial airline pilot up until 07. Then they put a Band-Aid on it, increased it to 65, and now they're saying 65 to 67. I think we all know it's because of all the cancellations. There's a little bit of a there's a short a shortage in supply for pilots. Um, I, I, the interesting part is at first, I, I'll be honest, I was pretty ignorant about it. I was like, oh, pilots must be pretty happy about this because if you want to keep working longer, sure. you can. A couple of people I talked to about it, they were more saying that this is going to be viewed as more of a Band-Aid, and also you could be hurting pilots' uh, compensation because you're essentially moving them back on the seniority ladder. Any opinion on it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the opinions, I, I, both sides make sense, right? It, yeah. we, we obviously want to have pilots stick around a little bit longer. I think it's been uh, projected that we'll have about 14,000 retire in the next four years. And I don't know that we're going to have 14,000 new pilots within right. the next four years. It seems like the actual training behind it uh, is very rigorous, and not everybody's doing it. Wait a minute. You guys have me a little confused. You know that's easy. but uh, So we don't have the uh, age changes that I've been hearing about, like 50 is the new 30 and 65 is the new 25. What is that? Haven't we been hearing those things about aging? 
I've not heard that you from the FAA. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. FAA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting because I don't know. I've gone on two flights pretty recently, and pretty much I had two hour and a half layovers, mm-hmm. and I started to complain to someone about that, and they promptly told me to get over it, and that was pretty good. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're, you're lucky it was yeah, only one. <laughs> exactly. So we'll see. I don't know. I, it's just got introduced. It may not pass. This is super early, but I thought yeah. it was interesting, and a lot of people flying right now in the summer, so. I think we all can relate to the story a little bit. Yeah. Last quick one. Talking about the lottery. You're no one, win? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do like to win, but no. uh, so <laughs> you have to buy a ticket, Spencer. Yeah, I know. Yep. <laughs> so the Mega Millions just went past again. No one won the full on Mega Million, mm-hmm. but uh I was proud. Well, mega billion at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think it was below a billion though until uh, this yeah, last one. Right. Yeah. I was proud, though. I saw a couple of Ohioans brought home some money. I think a couple won $5 million. I think so, yeah. I think 20-odd million came to Ohio, something like that. Yeah, exactly. John, I'm sure you were proud of them being Ohioans. I didn't get any of Yeah, that. <laughs> that's fair. The real reason I brought it up is to selfishly say that if anyone knows one of those Ohioans who won the lottery, tell them to get on Spotify or another podcast provider, look up Managing to be Wealthy. Smart. Episode 225, <laughs> Managing a Windfall. Hey, I hosted that one. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> yeah. Are we back to the same click again? The three, you three? Exactly. I wasn't on that one. I think that was Tony and Kim. Oh, mm, see? Yeah. Okay. Enough of the current events. Let's get into the main part. So, um, John, I thought of this idea from you, so I figured it was only fitting. It would be for the three of us on this one. We're talking about questions to ask when you're interviewing around uh, financial advisors. I kind of thought of this because, I mean, let's be honest, there's a million there are a million financial advisors out mm-hmm. there, financial planners, wealth managers. They go by a million different names. And I think a lot of people are either A, intimidated, don't really want to go look for an advisor. They don't think it's a good fit. Or they found one, got burned because they didn't know everything they were getting into and felt like they got taken advantage of a little bit. And now they don't want to work with one. So I figured this would be a good opportunity. Let's go through some questions, just kind of some bare bones ones to maybe get closer to seeing who could be a good fit. And then it's more about the personal relationship from there. You are right. There are now millions of them everywhere. I mean, right. you listen to the radio, even WN, <laughs> WTV. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just seeing if Mike was paying attention. Yeah, you're about to get us so, all in trouble. And you hear all these guys and gals <laughs> who are advertising every five minutes that, you know, they have interesting names and I won't mention any, of course, but they have all these interesting names and they're all, they're using terminology now that may be confusing. For example, I heard one of the ads and it said, we are a fiduciary, mm-hmm. okay? <clears throat> and what that tells you is our people are better trained. What do you think about that, Spence? Uh, because they're fiduciaries, they're better trained? Yep. I would I would dispute that. Ah, <laughs> yeah. good, good, good. <laughs> what about you, Cole? Well, you said good to the last one, so I'm gonna go ahead and respond similarly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's more about the, the, the who you are, your maybe certifications or credentials, um, and actually, you know, uh, not just saying you're one thing, but actually doing it. Right. right. So you're working on behalf of your client mm-hmm. 100%, not just react uh, allowing a client to buy something that they can afford. Yeah. So that's a big, big difference. Fiduciary is important. And then the other one they talked about was the CFP. And since you are both CFPs. It's true. Okay. <laughs> how does that help you? Uh, well, you have a, a broad knowledge base. Obviously, you also have the certification, and uh, as a function of that, you're uh, bound to be a, a fiduciary as well, or should be. 
Um, so you're acting in the client's best interest, but re realistically, they're the primary aspects, knowledge. All right. So does that mean if you are a CFP, can you be a fiduciary if you sell products, Spence? Uh, I mean, you know how I feel on that one. You're kind of jumping <laughs> to what I was going to say, but uh, well, I tried to, you know. Yeah, I think some people definitely do take a commission. That's not how we operate. I do think there's <laughs> certainly some conflicts with it. I'm trying to put the PC hat on right now. Oh, you're trying to be woke. <laughs> <laughs> you really want to get me going, huh, Spencer? <laughs> trying to beat around the bush. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, I mean, I I was going to say that, though. I agree with you. From the credential standpoint, obviously, I would say certified financial planner, if you're looking for a financial planner, is pretty much the gold standard. Right. That being said, can you find a certified financial planner that operates completely different than someone else in your same city? Absolutely. So there's a lot into that. To your point, I was going to say, I think that's the first question you have to ask someone is, how are you compensated? You at least have to. It's a great place to start. Right. If you're interviewing around, you have to know how they're getting paid. Doesn't mean that if they are taking a commission, if you're comfortable with that, then that's perfectly fine. But if you don't know it's coming off the top when you move into something, I think that's a little bit wrong. You should at least know what's coming up. But you agree with that question? Uh, yeah. You, you know I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know I do. Whenever we talk to uh, individuals for the first time, that's one of the first things we review. How are people compensated? Uh, because it is that important. That's what they should be aware of from the beginning as uh, your commission-based planners, your fee-based planners, and your fee-only planners. All very different. What's a fee-based planner? Yeah, that's our least favorite. Yeah, what is <laughs> that? Because people always confuse that with fee-only, but it's really a hybrid of the two. So uh, what they'll do is they'll charge you a low-ball fee essentially to get you in the door, and then they'll use that financial plan as an opportunity to sell you products along the way. So there's the the flat fee uh component and commission oh okay yeah so not fee only <clears throat> well when you go to interview a planner the first thing you ought to do is see how much they're really interested in you because that's the key you need a planner who's going to pay attention to your needs and your wants and your goals and so one of the questions i think is important is you could the planner should ask you what is it you're looking for why did you come to me yeah what do you think i can help you do and get that. We have that uh, 10 question. We still have that. Mm -hmm. The ten magic 10 questions. Tell me, where would you be by next year if you worked with us? What would we have accomplished? Yep. And we write those down. And we focus on those so that the first year we're attacking the things that could be attacked. So you want someone who is interested in you, not interested in telling you about all the great investments, not telling you all about the great brokerage or the insurance companies or whatever it is. So make sure you pay attention. Yep, absolutely. All right, we're just getting started. Stick around for the back half of the show. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. We are going into the meat of the show, which is talking about interviewing prospective advisors, uh, multiple different advisors. We'll see how much we can get through in the final two segments here. Quick reminder to everyone real quick, if you're listening, you want to set up a prospective meeting with one of our advisors with Managing to Be Wealthy, you can go to our website. No surprise, it is managingtobewealthy.com. Click on Take Action up in the top right. Uh, you'll have to give a little bit of personal information. We'll set up a call. Obviously, no strings attached. Just sit down, listen to your plan, see what we can do for you, and uh, don't hesitate to reach out. That being said, we were kind of moving quick in the last uh, end of the last segment, 
I'd kind of like to break it down a little bit more. So we were saying, how do you get compensated? And we kind of quickly hit on there's fee only. You charge a flat annual fee. How they calculate that fee, we'll get into later. There's a commission-based plan, or that means they take a commission. It could be in a couple different ways. We'll get into that. And then the fee-based is kind of a marriage between the two. If you're looking at a Venn diagram, it's in the middle. So, and then there's even hourly on top of that. I don't see it as much, but there are some planners who do kind of do it as a project-based. You give them something specific, they'll charge you a fee, and that's kind of how they operate. Um, within the commissions of the fee-based specifically, I think there's a lot of different ways that people can earn those commissions. And I think that's why the next question should be, okay, if you're taking a commission, how is it calculated and on what products do you take commissions on? I'll take the easy one because there's probably three or four we can touch on quickly. First one is investments. And I'm just being honest from my anecdotal experience. This one is the one where I've talked to the most people and they're frustrated about it because they don't know about the hidden mm -hmm. commissions. Um, so one is they can just earn a commission or a fee because they manage your investment account. That's usually a low percentage, maybe 1% to 2%. I would argue that's maybe not super low, but that's what they generally charge. And the other one could be a load. So if I sold you a certain fund and you invest $10,000, the load may be 5%, meaning I'm going to take $500 off the top just when I put you into that. Or it's a back-end load, which means you invest in it, but if you ever take your money out of that fund, you pay that 5%. So that's kind of the first one, and I just know a lot of people that seem to have missed that message when they started the investment. Yeah. I think, John, you looked into this years ago, didn't you? Doesn't it take something like, was it 12 years to, to make up for that loan? Right. Uh, there was a financial magazine that wrote an article explaining that if uh, someone took a commission, I don't remember what the percent was, mm -hmm. but it would take 12 years before you would recover that commission, go back to zero. Yeah. So you're saving your people that kind of money to begin with. Yeah. I won't do a monologue on this clip. So that's the first one I took. I can think of a few others. Any other items that jump out right away that you should say, are you getting a fee and how is it calculated on this? Well, be aware that some of them are so subtle. Yeah. There's, yep. uh, I see advertising, you know, we only make money when our clients make money. Well, that and, sounds good. Yeah, it sounds great, doesn't it? And then when their accounts go down, they make less money. Well, how are they doing that? They're charging a percent of the total portfolio. Yep. So you say, well, that's not a commission. No, it's not quite, but it's a subtle way that can affect your plan because if everything's about your portfolio and the size of your portfolio, then you may need to do some things like pay off your house or whatever else, and that planner may not want you to reduce the portfolio by half a million dollars. So be aware of those. We don't. I don't like those. Yeah, I'm with you. That's a great point. So that's that's one of uh, the compensation methods Spencer was referencing, an AUM model, yeah. so an assets under management. It's very popular. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but definitely to your point, something to be aware of. Uh, I know uh, another compensation or another commission-based uh, thing would be insurance. Yeah. Yeah, everyone loves talking insurance. Your, your whole life insurance products, your annuities, uh, there's immediately going to be something like a 7-odd percent commission, in some cases higher, uh, just by uh, signing up for that sort of product. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's super common. I've mm -hmm. even seen it where some firms now will do refinances in in house mortgage refinances. And Interesting. Same concept. They yeah. charge like a quarter point, point two five percent based on the transaction amount. And so I think some of these questions people are going to catch on to. It's helpful because if you go into a room, get the sales pitch, and they hand you a fifty page disclosure packet, mm -hmm. you're probably not going to catch it all. You hit some people with some pointed questions. Hopefully that 
they're going to come out straight with you. If they don't, then that's a, a big problem yeah. and you can actually take some action with it. Um, but same concept, if you're going in somewhere and they're saying, we can do mortgage refinances, okay, do you get compensated on that? We sell insurance, do you get compensated? If they do it all in-house and you're comfortable with that and you you prefer to pay the commission to get it all done there, more power to you, but at least you know what's coming out. Yep. Well, and, well, you know, my philosophy is there should not be any of those things in-house. Right. And so that's why we're big about having outside advisors because mm-hmm. we want the specialist. We want the... I went to San Francisco one year and hired, I think it was five or six tax lawyers in San Francisco to advise me on a very unique aspect of total disability insurance. Mm-hmm. Cost me a lot of money, but I got the best advice. Yep. Couldn't find it here, could find it there. So that's what you want. If somebody is representing a product or whatever, they're usually gonna come to you from that point of view. That's yeah, a, a great point because uh, the, the reason for that, and we've talked about this on the show, I'm sure, but uh, you don't want a firm generally operating in a silo because then there's no checks and balances, people looking over each other's shoulder to make sure everyone's doing the best work because it's just assumed that they are. So working with those specialists, those outside advisors, you're making sure they're doing the right thing and vice versa. And they're making sure we're doing the right thing. That's a perfect thing mm-hmm. because you have advisors who are representing you from every aspect. Right. And from a fresh point of view. Right. And the the purpose ultimately being taking care of the client. Amen. Yeah. And I think the uh, I was going to say that the next point of question kind of ties into it. And I've been asked it a, a lot of times. I think it's a very fair question is what's your capacity for your workload? And if you if you reach that capacity, what's the next step? Or it, it, do I continue working with you? Do I move on to another advisor? What's that look like? And I think that kind of ties into any advisor you're talking about. I've just, to your point, a lot of people ask, why don't you have, you know, accountants in-house? Why don't you have attorneys in-house? John, I'm sure you've seen it a lot more than me. Cole, I'm sure you've seen it a lot more than me. I've seen enough, like, good CPAs and insurance brokers do a great job when I first see their work. You throw their name out there amongst a, a lot just to interview around, and then the more you see them kind of fill up on capacity, the slower the correspondence becomes. All right, sure. Just things like that. And I think that's a good question for the planner is you need to know if you send an email, what's the expected turnaround time? Is it a day, two days, a week? Is there an expected turnaround to make sure you're getting the quality of service you want? Well, I think we have a philosophy, don't we? A protocol? Yeah, absolutely. And it is? It's technically two business days. I don't ever see it go that long unless someone's out with a huge life event. But <laughs> Exactly. So you got to. The most important thing is communication between you and your lead advisor. Mm -hmm. Remember, the financial advisor is kind of like the coach of the football team. You're the owner of the football team, but the coach is the one who comes to you and says, "We need to draft a wide receiver," and that may be an accountant, or we need a lawyer, or whatever the case may be. And so they're directing and checking on all these players, making sure they're uh, operating to capacity and uh, the client's getting the best service. You're not trying to replace the attorney. You're not trying to practice law. You're just trying to give a sharper edge to the client. I think that's what it's all about, making a good team around you. Mm -hmm. Um, Last question on this, and the last segment, we're probably gonna touch on other advisors. Um, Do you have a succession plan in place for the business, and what's that gonna look like? 
like I said, John, I have you in the room. We've gone through succession plans when you sold the business. So yeah, you got rid of me already. Yeah, Come yeah. on. <laughs> we still have you on the show. <laughs> did you have anyone ask you about that before doing it? Oh, did, sure. Oh, really? Was it pretty common? It was uh, reasonably common, especially when I started to have more gray hair. Yeah. And they would say, what are you going to do? So I said, well, I'm going to find this guy named Cole, and he'll probably screw it up so he yep. can take over. <laughs> yep, and that's why I'm not in the uh, the ownership yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so we're going to pick back up on this in the last segment. Stick around. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. We're coming in on the home stretch here. Wrap the last segment with how we pretty much want to end the conversation on how to interview around financial planners. There's only so much we can get into with it, but we were talking about succession planning. John, you were saying how people start to ask you that before you sell, sold the business. Someone with, with a baby face like me, they're maybe not going to ask me what the succession plan is, but I do think the reason it's important is I think with any of these advisors in a perfect world, it unfortunately may not work out this way. It should hopefully be a relationship that's going to last a long time. You don't want to be turning over financial planners or insurance agents every two years and having to deal with pressing reset. So I think that is an important question to know. What's the longevity here? And if the plan is to have a succession plan while we're working together, get to know who's going to come next, or are you going to sell off to a bigger bigger institution and then everything's going to change? I mean, I think those are some fair questions. Now, that's why we built a structure the way we did it. There's no one person working on a case. Yeah. There's the lead financial planner, and uh, you guys are that. And then there's an associate planner, mm -hmm. and then there's a hundred people. It seems like behind the scenes who are doing all kinds of work on behalf of the client. Yeah, and that's why we're in touch with the client maybe once a week, on average. Try to be when we can. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's real, real important to be in touch. So when you look at, unfortunately today, the one man practice is a little bit more of a challenge because you don't have a succession plan. So the client needs to also look at his other advisors. Does his CPA have an, a succession plan? Right. What about the lawyer? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm still clinging to my <laughs> lawyer. You know, he's almost as old as I am now. <laughs> and uh, what's going to happen if uh, he dies on me and I need him help with the estate plan or whatever the case may be? So they, they, they need to understand that. Well, it's a great question, but they need to ask it of all their advisors, not just you. Mm -hmm. And we provide it through the structure we've created. Right. Uh, our protocols... Uh, we, we, the system was designed to protect the client. And so I don't know if you guys even appreciate all those subtleties in there, but that's what it was for. You know so, we do, John. Okay, so the client doesn't have to worry, yep. and it can be picked up. And when the example I always use is, what if you get hit by a bus? Mm -hmm. Will the planner taking your place be able to run uh, the business for the client? And that's what we're always thinking about. That's why we have the uh, regular staff meetings. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's staff meetings over clients. So the whole group is there as long as we can keep it that way. <laughs> it's going to become too large pretty soon. But we, we go through cases and talk yep. about ideas and people learn things if they're new and they give things if they're old and everyone wins that way. And even when we have specialty outsiders, like uh, last Monday we had Vanguard, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they came and they answered our questions about their program and what it does for our clients and 
you know, we have a direct contact with a person, unusually in the Columbus area, who works for Vanguard, and we want to have that kind of contact. We want to have the ability to talk with your accountant, with your attorney, with your insurance person. All those people are significant, and they have good ideas. If they're the specialist, you want them attending to their work. Definitely. Okay? I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to practice any law. And then when I was young and getting started like you, Spence, <laughs> I was attacked a couple of times by attorneys saying, oh, you're practicing law. That was because I said someone should have a will. Things were really different back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So same thing's true now. So you need all, you need all these advisors. You should worry about a, a, a plan, ongoing plan, and they're gonna have, they should be concerned about you, and they should be concerned about each of their advisors. I cannot add anything better onto that. I think that was a good summation. Oh, wow. It's yeah. a shame we didn't wrap with that. We yeah. saw a few minutes yeah. ago. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to yeah. stall. Keep, yeah. Yeah, keep, keep monologuing, John. So I, uh, last couple of minutes here, I think very similar questions for the other advisors. It just changes a little bit. So with the accountants, I think the question is asking how they're compensated. I think it switches a little bit because it's probably more like, hey, what's your minimum fee? Especially, It's... Is it just a personal return? Do you have a business tax return? How do you charge for both of those? Generally, you're going to get some different answers. And some accountants, because sometimes I know most people associated with just who's going to file my taxes at the end of the year. I, ideally, if you're being pretty proactive, you may be reaching out a little bit more than that to them throughout the year. And so the other question is, hey, if I'm sending you a couple emails throughout the year, phone calls, is there a bill associated with that? How's it structured? So it is a little bit different than financial planning where it, sometimes I guess it may be a little bit harder for them to give you a exact dollar amount. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, because a lot of theirs is projection world. Yeah. There's only, there's only so much they can do uh, until you actually have the numbers, the W-2 in hand. But yeah. to your point, you still want to ask the questions if you can have them engaged. And ideally, that's part of the service. They're not going to charge you hourly or bill you to do that. But uh, engage them as often as possible to make sure that you're doing the right things for uh your, your tax purposes for your plan. Do you think the credentials matter? I know we kind of said the last one, CFP is the gold standard, but it can be a lot of different things. With the accountant world, depending on what your need is, do the credentials matter a little bit more, do you think? I think, by and large, you should want to work with a CPA, okay. a certified public accountant. I think there may be some instances where maybe it is fairly simple, maybe young 20s, just W-2. You might be able to get enroll, uh, work with a uh, just a tax preparer. Yeah. Uh, that might not be the end of the world, but uh, generally as you get a little bit older, your plan gets a little bit more complex, or especially if you're a business owner like John you had referenced earlier, you want to work with someone who has that, that expertise, that certification in their name. And the certification, the reason you're buying the certification is these people presumably have a larger base of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to be, when they look at your stuff, they're going to think of ideas that you haven't talked about yet, and they're going to make recommendations It'll enhance your situation. Exactly. So be prepared for So that's why you have those people. You wouldn't want, uh, you know, your neighbor doing your legal stuff, would you? Not, not my neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So a couple more with the accountants. Um, one is on t I think the same one is what's your capacity. That's very important with the accountants. Um, other one would be, and this is kind of an odd one, but I've heard it a decent amount, is there a discount provided if we get you our tax documents by a certain time? I have seen more and more some CPAs will say, if you can get us everything by 
early March that will give you a discount off the top because it helps them from getting bogged down. That's a price early March is still early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was late February. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other one for a lot of business owners, I know some uh, some accountant offices will do bookkeeping. We'll kind of bake that in with their services. Generally, it's an extra fee. Um, I I I I don't necessarily see that as a reason to shy away from it. But once again, I for the same reason we don't like to do everything in house. I feel like sometimes that muddies the waters a little bit. You can't mm. tell if they're able to do both, give you those clear recommendations as the accountant and look over the books. Any personal experience with that where you disagree? Well, the question that to the advisor is, if whatever business you have, you ask that advisor, do you have any clients who are in this category? Okay, yeah. And so see if they have any experience there. If they don't, you don't want to be the guinea pig. So work, work your way through that with the attorney, all of them. Uh, one of the things is retirement plans that'll eventually become a part of your legacy. Mm -hmm. And so you want somebody who knows a little bit about them so they can give you proper advice. <laughs> we run into all the time people who don't know about stuff like yeah. required minimum distributions. And <laughs> yeah. And I, I've had to talk to a few uh, accountants about how a SEP IRA works. Right. Uh, another business retirement plan. So you want to make sure you're working with someone who is, who's in the know. Yep, the exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think you said, I think that's a good point, John. You probably could ask that question to anyone, depending on what your situation is. Um, if you're working in a niche field or a niche occupation, and you should ask the question whether it's the attorney or the financial planner, do they have experience in there? If not, and you feel like you may need some extra help, maybe that's the incentive to go continue interviewing around. So we flew through this show. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Please send it along to someone else if they're looking to interview around. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN.